Good morning. I want to direct our attention to a conversation in John uh, 14. It is good to be together and good as we've already been singing about and praying about. Uh, It's good to have this honor to worship uh, the great King, uh, the creator of all the world, the savior of mankind. In John 14, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way, and you know where I am going. Thomas said to Jesus, he said, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're going to focus this morning on the fact that Jesus shows us the way. Jesus shows us the way. A little bit later in the same Chapter Jesus, this time speaking with Philip. Philip said to Jesus, Show us the Father and it will suffice us. Jesus said, Have I been this long time with you and you still do not understand? He that has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus can show us the way. And we want to notice a few examples of this together. For our brief time of study of this morning. So first, Jesus shows us how to grow up. Jesus shows us how to grow up. Luke 2.52 Jesus shows us how to grow up. There it is referenced that Jesus as a little child, or at least in his boyhood, Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I want us to focus on that word increased for just a second or or advanced. He advanced or increased. That word means to cut forward. It is the term that was often used in the early days of when uh, woodcutters would cut a trail Uh, for armies who were coming in to try to uh, invade a country or a city. They would clear the path for all the other carriages, horses, and and vehicles of the army to be able to make their way into the city, to cut forward. It is not bad at all to say that Jesus cut a path for us to follow. He increased. He advanced in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Notice just briefly these four dimensions of life or these four dimensions wherein we can grow. Jesus shows us how to grow up. The first dimension is the intellectual or the mental part of life. Someone, a commentator on scripture said a long time ago, he said, if you're going to follow Christ then it's going to take all of you, brains and all, 
brains and all. And the intellectual part of us is very important in our following of Jesus. Jesus shows us how to grow up in a mental way. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and 13, To gird up the loins of your mind. The mind is important as we focus on serving our Lord. Jesus himself says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37, that we ought to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. As we grow up, we must learn to read. We must learn to read. I brought with me this morning some storybooks that we used over and over again with our girls when they were little. It is called the Alice in Bibleland Storybook. The Alice in Bibleland Storybook. This one is on Ruth and Naomi, another one here on, on Samson. But they have uh, storybooks that go from Old Testament into the New Testament. We sat and sat for hours reading through these same books again and again. These little children's books have great insights into Scripture. But it's good to learn to read. And to get in the habit of reading. And the only way to learn to read is to read. Read and read. Listen and read. Listen and read. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed are those who read the words of God. Read the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those that hear what they read. And blessed are those that keep what they read and they hear. Jesus said in Matthew 19.3, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? So in the intellectual part, we must learn to read, but we also must learn to reason, to read and to reason. If you want to think about two works that we have to do with our children and grandchildren, read and reason. Help them to learn to reason. Reason things out. Hebrews 3.4 says, Every house is built by someone, and he that built all things is God. Isn't that simple? But children today, and a lot of grown-ups today, cannot simply reason from what is to how it should be in life. So, notice the intellectual dimension of life. And then Jesus shows us how to grow up. In the physical dimension of life. The physical dimension of life. Children must be taught to respect their bodies. And to keep their bodies pure. Often in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul will say, flee fornication. Flee fornication. The body is not for fornication, but it's for the Lord. So children must be taught to keep their bodies pure. And to respect their bodies as the great gift that it is from God. It's, it's a shame to read these things and to know about these things, but it is the world in which we live. I was reading a little note that came over my phone through email a couple of days ago. You might remember the actress that's been uh, before the world quite some time now. Her name is Jamie Lee Curtis. And she had an interview with I think it's AARP. That's how long she's been around. But she was proud of the fact 
that her son Thomas is now her daughter Ruby. She has, she has, she says, and I quote, it has been a wonderful experience to watch how our son Thomas has discovered his true nature and has now gone through the process and now he is our daughter Ruby. Now, I just thought I'd make you gag a little bit before you get to lunch today, but that's the world in which we live. It's going to be thrown before us and our children again and again. That's an utter disrespect for the body, how God intended it to be. A couple weeks ago, Brother Ken and I were in our youth class, and we were talking about some of these, I think we were talking about abortion. And we landed on Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, where God tells Jeremiah that even before he was in his mother's womb, he knew him. Okay. Showing very much that the body inside the mother's womb is alive. But our sister Caroline, she spoke up and made a, a really good observation that notice also that God had already set the gender of Jeremiah way back before he came into his mother's womb. Before, before you appeared in your mother's womb, God said, I knew you and I was going to make you a prophet for the nations. God sets the gender from the very, very initial creation of human beings. And so children must be taught physically in the physical realm to keep their bodies clean and pure and to respect the body, not mutilate the body that God has given them. They must be taught also to cover their body up, cover their body up. Adam and Eve had to be taught this long ago in in the Garden of Eden. When they sinned, they sewed some fig leaves together. Not good enough. God... Later in Genesis 3, before he cast them out, or as he cast them out of the garden, he made them coats of skin. Coats of skin. And so Jesus shows us how to grow up in an intellectual way, in a physical way, and also in a social way. It says he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with man. In favor with man. This basically means kindness and helping somebody come to know God. Those are the two big things that we're looking for in our children is to help them to learn to be nice and kind and then help them to learn to show others how to create a relationship with the Lord. As far as kindness goes, there's a lot of little practices I've I've read. I think it's Cindy Colley who who wrote out some, some ideas along this line several years ago and I've kept those uh, in, in my notes Teaching children to be kind and nice, uh, she says, uh, look, for, look for opportunities to be patient. Patient. When you're waiting in line, when you're driving on the road, it's important to remain under control and patient. That teaches your children uh, that as well. Look for opportunities, what she calls dropping opportunities. If somebody drops something, uh, teach your children. Be quick to help them uh, to pick that up for them. Look for dropping opportunities. Also look for opportunities that 
when atoms are lost, to be able to return an atom to someone or to return an atom to a, to a table and a lost and found place. And then on that atom, be sure to put information there about uh, the Lord's church and about the gospel plan of salvation. And uh, look for opportunities with children and babies. And when you're out and about, it's often the case that we see a mom struggling with two or three little ones. Look for opportunities to have treats or look for opportunities to try to help open a door or, or what, whatever the opportunity is. And look for food opportunities. Anytime you reach out to someone, you can follow up with some uh, taking them some nice food. Those are just ideas to implant in our, our children's minds. Uh, she also brings out the idea of widow, widow hugging. Widow hugging. Uh, teach your children to, to just be in the habit of going up and giving a widow a hug. But increasing in favor with man, and especially to the point of helping them to come to know Christ. You might, be, um, you might receive a, a thank you note. Uh, for a gift you've given. Um, but there's nothing like someone being eternally grateful to you uh, for showing them the way of the truth and the life. So we, Jesus shows us how to grow up in, a, in the intellectual sense, in the physical sense, in the social sense, but especially in the spiritual sense because Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, favor with man, but also most importantly, in favor with God. Jesus learned very early to turn his attention to God. Right here in Luke 2, you remember that he separated from his parents and they come back and they find him studying the word of God in the temple with some of the older uh, guys there. And so children can learn very early to start serving and thinking about the Lord. Good to see Martin here um, this morning, I was thinking about mentioning Martin, and so he came in, so I certainly will mention him now. So uh, early on, years ago, years ago, uh, this congregation has had the habit of taking uh, our VBS to other places. It really started with Brother Marl uh, Fuller. Uh, Brother Marl uh, would uh, take parts of our VBS and go down here to, to Bowler Road Congregation uh, just outside of Moulton. And um, long before Martin ever became a Christian, Martin was helping us with that, just when he was little old Martin. And, um, and so children can turn their attention to the Lord uh, in, early, in the early days, and they should, and they should. Uh, children can even push their parents. Uh, Jesus asked Joseph and Mary, he said, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? It's often the case that children will... Help parents realign with the will of God. But mostly, Jesus sought the favor of God in all that he did. John 8, 29 says that Jesus, he always did those things that were pleasing in God's sight. None of us will be able to ever say that in a perfect way, but that can be a goal of ours, to always do those things, always look for the favor of God in everything that we do. Jesus shows us how to grow up. A long time ago, John Milton wrote that as the morning sometimes shows us the day, so childhood sometimes will show the man. Jesus teaches us, shows us how to grow up. 
A second example uh, this morning is that Jesus shows us how to begin a work with God. Jesus shows us how to begin uh, a work with God. We see Jesus coming to, um, to be baptized of John in Matthew chapter 3. We see this. Uh, just as uh, Jesus was baptized and then he started his public ministry, uh, so when we are baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, uh, we, are, uh, we are injected to the work of God automatically. Now, Jesus' baptism much different than ours. Absolutely much different, much different than ours. Our baptism is based on faith and repentance and our need for remission of sins. Uh, in Jesus' case, he is the object of our faith and he has no need for the remission of sins. He never did any sin. So his baptism was not for the remission of sins. What was it about? Well, we know that baptism isn't a dipping, a plunging, an immersion. And we know from Paul's writings in Romans 6, 3, and 4 that that immersion represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay. And we know that Jesus knew very early on that he was going to die. He knew all alone that he was coming to this earth to die, to be buried, to be resurrected. And so it seems clear to me that when Jesus was baptized of John, he was, he was indicating that. He, this was a preview of how his life would end uh, on this earth. Jesus started his ministry knowing full well the end of it. He, be, he began with the end in mind. Okay. But at the same time, Jesus does teach us uh, the importance of our own baptism because he died for our sins and we, need, we must contact his blood through uh, obeying the gospel, being baptized. Okay. But think about that for a second. It's important that when we work for the Lord that we know what the end is. The end is that whoever we're working with will go to heaven and that we ourselves will go to heaven. That's the end in mind. And Jesus knew very well where he would end up as he began his work. I want us to think about the fact that as Jesus came to be baptized of John, he traveled about 70 miles he was way up in Galilee near his hometown. And then he came all the way down to the southern part of the Jordan River where John was baptized and to be baptized. About 70 miles. He did this because he knew this is what the Lord, the Father, wanted him to do. He, he did this to fulfill all righteousness. The Father wants us to be baptized, not in the same way of Jesus, but for the remission of sins. A lot of folks will be within just a mere feet, a mere 10, 12, 15, 18 feet of baptism for many days in their lives and never, never make the decision to be baptized into Christ for their mission of sins. A lot of folks have had people all around them who would be ready at a, at a moment's notice to help them go somewhere rather close, a couple miles away, five miles away, to be baptized, and they put it off and put it off and put it off. Here Jesus is, he traveled 70 miles in order to be baptized because he knew that the Father wanted him 
uh, to do this. Jesus then not only shows us how to grow up, but he also shows us how to, to begin a work with God. In the third place, a third example that we'll mention uh, this morning is Jesus shows us how to face the snake. In the wilderness, Jesus shows us how to face the sa- Satan, uh, the snake. Just quickly there in Matthew chapter 4, you remember that one thing that Jesus did, he, he brought out the word of God again and again. And he did not use a miracle to beat Satan. He used the word of God. The passages that he referred to again and again all come from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16, and then Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. You recall uh, Satan said, command these stones to be made bread. Jesus said uh, from Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan took Jesus up on the pinnacle of the temple and said, cast yourself down, the angels will will bear you up. Jesus from Deuteronomy said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You, will not, you should not put the Lord to, to the test. Satan took Jesus on top of a mountain and said, all these kingdoms of the world can be yours if you'll bow down to me. And Jesus said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus shows us how to deal with Satan, and a big part of that is the word of God. We've got, to, we've got to know the Word, get into the Word, read the Word, search the Word for answers. Isaiah 30 verse 1 is a, is a great verse. I'd like for you to, to really look at it um, when you have a chance. Isaiah 30 verse 1, there's a, there's a warning given to the rebellious children in Isaiah's day, the children of Israel. He says, this people, they take counsel... But not of me. Uh, They make an alliance. But not of my spirit. So that they may add sin to sin. Now notice. Why are they not taking counsel with God? Why are they not making a league with God's spirit? Because they want to keep adding sin to sin. You see. The Bible says in Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a great battle between Scripture and sin. Scripture will help us deal with sin and Satan, that old serpent, the snake. But if we want to sin, we're going to leave Scripture alone. That's what Isaiah 30 verse 1 is saying. They won't take counsel of me, God says, because they want to keep adding sin to sin. Jesus dealt with the snake uh, through the Scripture. And we can too. Another thing about Jesus and the snake was that he was aware of the Satan's tricks. He was aware of the snake's tricks. Satan came to Jesus and said, uh, let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. That's when he took him up on a high mountain. He said, all these kingdoms of the world, I can't believe that Satan would even say this to Jesus, creator of the world. But he said, all these kingdoms of the world can be yours if you'll just bow down to me. In other words, let's make a deal make a deal. There was no deal making with with Jesus and there ought not to be with us. But this is the way Satan will slide in. He's a slippery little snake and he will begin to to want us to compromise. Compromise. Make a deal. Let's make a deal. You don't go to church. You know, 
and I will do this for you. And he starts making deals with us. So he said, let's make a deal. He also came to Jesus and said, let's, let's put on a big show. So that's when he took him up to the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, you know, Scripture does say that if you cast yourself down, the angels are going to bear you up. Satan actually quoted from Psalm 91. Just because you know Scripture doesn't mean you're with God. Okay, Just because you can refer to a Scripture. Look, Satan referred to Scripture. Okay, You just got to refer to Scripture in the right way. And Jesus responds to him, of course, you, you should not put the Lord uh, to the test. But what Satan was wanting Jesus to do, he, he was saying, Jesus, you want to you move all these people. You want all these people to follow you. You don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. You can, we can create a big show right now. Just think if you let yourself fall off this, this temple and then at the last second the angels swoop in there and, and give you a rescue and deliverance. So that will cause people to follow you. And Jesus um, was met by Satan. Satan said to him, Jesus, let's take a shortcut. You've got this power. You've got this power. I know you do, Jesus. So... Jesus had just been fasting for 40 days. And so if you be the son of God, Satan said, command these stones to be made bread. In other words, there's no point for you to be fasting, Jesus. There's no point for you to be dedicating yourself to God. There's, there's no point for you to be focusing on, on dying for the sins of the world. Uh, you can cut right through that. You've got the power. You can command these stones to be made bread. You can do anything you want to do. You do not have to die for the sins of the world. And Satan still works that way today. He's saying, let's make a deal. He's saying, let's put on a big show. And he's saying, let's take a shortcut. Let's take a shortcut. You don't have to go through the pain, the suffering. You don't have to go through the sacrifice. You can have all the conveniences you want and still serve the Lord. Satan is still at work today. But we, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11... Don't let Satan outwit you because we are not ignorant of his devices. So Jesus shows us not only how to grow up, he shows us how to begin a new work, and he also shows us how to deal with the snake. And then the fourth place, Jesus shows us how to teach. How to teach. He is known as the master teacher. Even his enemies said in John 7, Verse 45, no man has ever spoken like this. No man's ever spoken like this. Nicodemus said to Jesus in John 3, 1 and 2, we know that you are a teacher sent from God because no man could do these, do these signs you're doing except that God be with him. Jesus was the master teacher. Looking on into Matthew 4, verse 17, notice what Jesus would teach about. First, he would teach about repentance, Matthew four seventeen. He would say, repent, repent. This is probably his first recorded sermon. Jesus' first recorded words are most likely back in Luke 2, where he is there in the temple and he responds to his parents, how is it that you sought me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? But here, his first real official sermon the first word is repent. Repent. And by the way, some of Jesus' last words were of repentance. Because you remember he sent letters 
to the churches of Asia. We read about in Revelation uh, chapters uh, 2 and 3. And to the church, well, for several, to several of those churches, his message was repentance. But I was thinking about church at Ephesus. He says, I have this against you, if Revelation 2 verse 4. Uh, to the church at Ephesus, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love, your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen, and repent, and do the first works. We must turn away from sin. Jesus teaches us, if we're going to be teaching, He shows us that if we're going to be teaching, we've got to start with the idea of sin and repenting, turning uh, from sin. But there in Matthew 4, 4.17, he also says, Repent for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus often talked about the kingdom. The kingdom. We need to know all things about the kingdom, of course. But we need to know when the kingdom uh, began. Jesus teaches us how to trace that beginning. In Mark chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus stood there before some of his disciples and said, There are some of you standing here before me today who will not see death, who will not taste of death until you see the kingdom come with power. And so Jesus gives us a clue there that the kingdom would would indeed come with power. At the end of Luke 24, he told uh, his apostles, you will be endued with power from on high, so you stay in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said to his apostles before he ascended up on high, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the kingdom would come during the lifetime of his disciples. The kingdom would come with power. And the kingdom, the power would come whenever the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. There's really, um, that's just airtight. Airtight. Now, some of you know that that we made this trip to Texas, and the one who should not have been driving was driving. Okay. Of all the men in North Alabama who should have been pulling a 6 by 12 trailer into Texas, uh, it should not have been me. We survived. With a lot of great help, we survived. One thing that Texas is doing, Texas is so big so big but they must have gotten a conscious about that because they decided to work on every interstate that is in Texas and so what they do when they're working on interstate is they create these little side roads that you're pushed off into and then they create these uh, temporary cement walls which they put on the white lines that were used to be there and so on either side of you are two cement walls, temporary cement walls. So you now have not, not near the space you had up there on the regular interstate. And then you're sharing, you're in one lane, and then this huge 18-wheeler is coming up next to you in the other, other lane. And so my lesson from that is there's no wiggle room here. If you start wiggling, somebody's going to run into each other. In looking toward the church, the kingdom, and looking toward baptism, looking toward salvation and repentance, there's no wiggle room. The Lord is very plain 
about what he taught concerning repentance and the kingdom of God. So Jesus shows us how to grow up. Jesus shows us how to begin a new work. Jesus shows us how to face Satan and beat him. Uh, Jesus shows us how to teach. Finally, Jesus shows us how to die. Jesus shows us how to die. We remember Jesus on the cross. We remember He said several things. Part of what He said was a prayer. Was a prayer. And so how do you face death? With prayer. With prayer. He would pray, um, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 34. And so when we are in life, but even when we face the end of life, we want to carry with us a forgiving spirit, a completely forgiving forgiving spirit. Jesus also prayed, Luke 23, 46, He prayed, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus prayed to the Father about retaining for Him that place uh, in heaven for Him. He prayed. He prayed, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Jesus faced death with prayer. But some of these sayings that Jesus said on the cross were also quotations from Scripture. So Jesus faced death once again with His mind full of Scripture. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is a quotation from Psalm 22. When he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, that's a quotation from Psalm 31 and verse 5. Over in John 19, 28, when he said, I thirst, he was recalling Scripture from Psalm 69 and verse 21. We too face death, having our minds toward God in prayer and having our minds full of Scripture. And Jesus faced death by thinking about others and not himself. He was thinking about his mother. He was thinking about John. But he also was thinking about that, that penitent thief, that thief who was willing to admit his wrong, that, that thief who was willing to say, this man has done nothing worthy of, of death whatsoever. He was willing to turn to that man and say, today thou shalt be with me. In paradise, Jesus shows us how to die through prayer, through scripture, and by thinking of others. And one thing Jesus said as he died, he said, it, it is finished. It is finished. Jesus died with great commitment to the Lord. So these are the ways that you die. Jesus shows us. Jesus shows us the way. How can I know the way? Jesus is the way. And we wanted to mention these five examples to show that indeed He shows us uh, the way. I love the thought about His commitment. When He was ready to die, He said, I have finished. John 17, 4 and 5. I have finished the work you gave me to do, Lord. And there on the cross he said, it is finished. It is finished. A lady by the name of, I think, um, Ellie 
Weisel, Ellie Weisel, she survived, somehow or another, she survived the death camps of the old war, World War II. And she's written a lot about forgiveness and love. And she said this, and it kind of struck me, and I'll just share it with you. She said, the opposite of love is not hate, but rather the opposite of love is indifference. Indifference. She said it was indifference that allowed the death camps to take place. It was the indifference of people who knew better and could have done something about it that allowed the suffering and death of so many people. If you, if you can say anything about Jesus, you can say he was not indifferent. He was absolutely full of love. As we consider our own situation before the Lord this morning, we must ask ourselves, am, am I following him? Am I walking in his steps? First John 2, 6 does say, we must walk even as he walks. Let Jesus show you the way. The Lord is always at work, but his work is for our benefit, our salvation. Going back for just a moment, you know, we, we define this term in Luke 2, 52, when Jesus increased, it means to cut forward, to cut forward. This word is used in Philippians 1, verse 12, where Paul said, trying to encourage the brethren, he said, the things that have happened to me have turned out toward the progress of the gospel. Paul was in prison at that time. He had been maliciously treated and beaten several times. But he was able to look above and see that the Lord had been cutting a path through his difficulties. The Lord had been cutting a path because that word progress there in Philippians 1.12 is the same word in Luke 2.52 is increased. It means to cut, to cut forward. To cut forward. And how Paul looked at his difficulties was that the Lord had been cutting a path through his life so that the gospel could go into different places and in greater, in greater ways. It could be, the reason I bring that up, it could be that right now the Lord has you exactly where he wants you to be right now. I'm talking about right now at this moment. Perhaps the Lord has brought you to this moment in life so that you will take this opportunity to draw closer to him. Perhaps to turn away from sin or just to turn away from indifference or to make some move, perhaps submit to him in baptism, to make some move to where now you know that you are walking in his steps. Can we help you this morning? Please come right now as we stand together and as we sing. Brother Aaron.